This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the K Golasso podcast. We have a big show for you. It is the Gold Cup quarterfinals recap. And yes, the U.S. is moving on. All right, everybody. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce, your two favorite former U.S. men's national team players, probably not named Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan. But you guys got a whole list, I'm sure. But Heath, let's get into it. The quarterfinals are done. The semifinals are set. Qatar and the U.S. are going at it in Austin on Thursday night. Mexico is taking on Canada. I think that's what we predicted was going to happen in the semifinals, if I'm not mistaken. And if we're not, well, I don't know. I feel like a prediction god. I don't know how you're feeling, though. How are you doing, my friend? I feel great. And I always feel like we do enough podcasts together that somewhere, some way we hedge our bets and make sure that we, we've got some coverage in case <laughs> things go wrong. You know, I'll throw a few things out there into the internet. And so like, you know, delete a few and add a few, but you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, we, we actually predicted that. And I think it wasn't a difficult prediction, so to sure, speak. Sure. Um, but you know, you could see if you just watching the U S Jamaica game, there were some, some moments where you're like, well, this is exactly what happens in the knockout rounds. It's a cagey affair. And, and, and there were opportunities for, for things to go the other way uh, in other matches as well. I'm not too, uh, let's say surprised by the results. I think we were pretty spot on with those, but maybe a little bit surprised with the lineup that Greg Berhalter got into with the U.S. He went with the 4-3-3. We thought we might see three center backs. We didn't see it. Were you surprised by that? We're just going to jump right into the U.S.-Jamaica game first, everybody. They beat Jamaica in the 85th minute. Matthew Hoppy had a header back post. He got some of that back post cheddar, as I like to call it, off a good cross by Christian Roldan. Uh, that ended up being the game winner in the 85th minute, 1-0, to move on to the semifinals. We had a 4-3-3. We had Shaq Moore, James Sands, Miles Robinson as the two center backs, Sammy Vines on the left. Uh, Busio Acosta Leggett, the same midfield that got overrun by Canada. He went with them again, and I like that because it gives them some confidence that you don't always have to play well to at least earn the, a spot um, and, and to get another chance to have another crack at it. Then, yeah, actually, Paul Areola was the captain. Surprised he even made the start. He was been hurt. Daryl DK was the choice up there in the number nine spot, and then Matthew Hoppy uh, ended up being uh, the hero in this one. He was on the other wing. Were you happy with this lineup? Or surprised? I actually, as I was surprised for sure. Um, but I was actually happy with the way things started, the way the match started. It started to make more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I was really happy that they kept Legette, Busio, and Acosta together. I thought that getting them more reps. Yeah, I agree. see that there was something that happened between the Canada game and now where a fire was lit under Acosta. I think a fire was lit under Legette in a lot of ways. Um, less so than, than I think we saw with Acosta and Busio. I still think that the team... To start with a, a quick little, uh, just sort of constructive criticism on them. I still thought the t- I still think the team lacks this ability to attack vertically with numbers. Right? Mm-hmm. It's one of these things where it's like you want Busio on the ball, but when Busio gets on the ball more and more, more and more often, he's further back in the field. And if he's that's a good Busio, a great Busio is being comfortable in the half turn and in those half spaces, wanting the ball, 
and people finding him on that ball and him being able to solve those problems higher up the field that I think connects the midfield to the attack. When he sit, goes back, drops deeper and splits the two center backs, I think that's a great, great in the mm-hmm. buildup, but I don't think we have any tools around him. Um, I don't think Acosta is better than pushing up higher up the field to connect the lines or, or Legette who's decent, but more often than not, um, his first touch is, is, is backwards before looking for that next touch. So I think that was one that I, I continue to want to see develop. And you're not going to have that until you continue to get reps. But overall, I thought the U.S. approached this game in the same way that Canada approached the U.S. game, right? It was an international match. They were up for playing scrappy. They were up for competing. They were up for battling. And that went uh, a little bit uh, awry at times in terms mm-hmm. of just trying to attack too quickly or touches getting away from them or after two, three bad passes or two, three times they've had to work hard to win the ball back. They're trying to force it down the throat of, of Jamaica. But overall, I thought the intensity, the mentality of the team was, was, was far different than we saw against Canada. And that is, should be the, 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 the minimum bar of representing the United States game in and game out. It's just that effort, that commitment to say, hey, we don't know where this game is going to go. There's going to be some ebb and flow. We might give up a few chances. But we know that uh, at each of these moments, somebody's going to make the play. And I thought there was enough players today willing to make that play to keep them in the game and then ultimately get them a goal that, that, that takes them on to the semifinals. What were your thoughts, Jimmy? No, I was just going to concur with you with regard to, and I'll get to my constructive criticism uh, in a second. I did want to say, though, that we did show some vulnerability. And ultimately, my, my takeaway, my biggest takeaway, was that we still found a way to win a game where if everything was in the balance, Jamaica did have quite a few opportunities and didn't make the most of them. It could have gone much, much different. And Andre Blake, who is a stud goalkeeper for the Philadelphia Union and for Jamaica for many years, made a mistake. He should have done better on the Matthew Hoppy goal, in my humble opinion. And, and we got fortunate. But to your point, we also made plays. And, and if it wasn't a defender, it was Matt Turner making a big save or somebody else coming back, Bustio breaking the lines to track a ball and to block a shot or whatever it is. We had guys making plays. So we do have some of this characteristics of, hey, we're still winning games. And this isn't just isolated to this team at the Gold Cup. Even in the Nations League, if we look at that U.S.-Mexico game in the final, the Nations League, Mexico on the balance, when we look at the stats and all that, Christian Pulisic was very quiet. We found a way to win that game. And I think that's a nice vibe that's starting to really, I think, permeate from Greg Berhalter, the manager, into the teams that he's coaching. And I think that's a huge positive, especially as we get into World Cup qualifying. And you and I both know that that is a grind to get results, especially when you're away from home. And I hope that sticks with our team throughout. Now, to your point, it's going to be nice for other characteristics to stick, and that is being up for the, the, the chippiness, being up for the intensity, being up for games getting physical, and being able to adapt to any situation. So... I like that as well. Now, my constructive criticism is there was a time, maybe in the last 10 minutes of the first half, where we could not hold on to the ball. We, can, we kept giving up balls. We kept giving up good chances to Jamaica, who just didn't have the composure, the little bit of luck that they needed to, to hit the back of the net. I thought they deserved a goal in this game, Jamaica. I thought they had enough opportunities or were in and around our box enough to, to deserve a goal. That said, we, we, we survived. But, but those are the moments, and I think we talked about it last podcast or, the, or the, the before that, the game, the podcast before that, where we still need somebody that when the game started to get away from us, who can put their foot on the ball and regain that com- control and composure and reestablish our rhythm and flow? Yeah. I don't see that enough from Busio. I will say there was one slight tactical change where Kellen Acosta was usually out on the right. He was out on the right for, for against Canada, and Busio was kind of sitting more on the six in front of the back four or the back three at that time. This time it was flipped and Acosta was really sitting in that hole 
and doing a little bit more of that side to side and dirty work that, uh, that we want from a CDM. And Busio was a little bit more on the right side. I thought he was a little unfamiliar there because I think he usually sets up there or a little bit to the left, Busio. And it took him a while, I think, to really kind of establish himself. But when that game starts to get away from us, what we end up doing, and I saw it in the last 10 minutes when I was watching, I was yelling it out loud, we're collapsing on each other. And it's a really easy thing to do when things aren't going your way and you're not keeping the ball. Just have your back line and your midfield line just step, stay on top of each other because, oh, well, there's eight of us. And that's just a natural tendency for all teams. This is an isolated to the U.S. And, and that needs to get changed. And that means that we're not, our center backs aren't being vocal enough to keep everything in the space and the integrity of the space, which you and I yeah. talked about. And I love it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a team shaped freak, but, but that's what you kind of see when things are getting out of control and we need guys that are vocal and also know how to hold on to the ball under pressure. Yeah. I would say that I agree with that. And interestingly enough, Jimmy, you were a center back. I played center back at times in my career, uh, but spent most of my career on the back line. And sometimes that's a comfort for a back line, right? Yeah. If your guys are willing to collapse on you, you're like, okay, you know, they're going to block off lanes in front of me, make my right. job a little bit easier, but exactly. ultimately you need to have that maturity. And there isn't that maturity, right. In terms of a leader, that's going to say, okay, this is my back line. You know, and I've always believed wholeheartedly that whether it's the national team, whether it's your club team, whether it's your rec league down the street, somebody has to own a back line. And that back, that person is like, when I say step, we step. When I say drop, we drop. And mm -hmm, naturally, mm -hmm. everybody's going to talk and stuff like that. But there's usually that one com like co commander in chief, right? That's just sort of like, I'm going to put this team on my shoulders. If I call the wrong call, if I tell us to hold our lines and we get broken and blah, blah, blah I'm going to take the blame for that. And that also means somebody who's willing to start pushing numbers out and pushing numbers on and saying, hey, if they're all pinched in, pull your fullbacks in uh, to tighter positions. If you can release a midfielder higher up the field to be able to, to do a little bit more or, or get into a passing lane, as you've mentioned in podcasts in the, in the past where you, you felt early on in the national team, your only job was to sort of make the game easier mm -hmm. and predictable for the people in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we struggle right now because we don't have that experience. I think Sands is great on the ball. I think Robinson has been uh, uh, fantastic as well in terms of putting out fires and, and making the plays you have to make at this level and being right. willing to say, you know what? I'm going to be a gamer here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make plays. When it comes to me, I'm not going to be the guy that slips up or makes a mistake or lets my team down. And I think there's something to be said about that, but I, I do think we make it a lot harder on ourselves than it has to be. And that's a, a, a great example of us just sort of collapsing. And I also think, look, I, when I look back at it, I think Busio was better in transition. He scrapped more. There was a few times early on in the game, like you mentioned, that I was like, oh, man, he still looks out of his depths a little bit. I was like, and I was like, am I going to put him in this luxury player box until further notice where he's so good where he's a, you know, he can come back and get the ball on offense and then he drifts up uh, defensively to sort of plug some holes. And can you have that on the team anymore? And then I thought that he started to get into the game a little bit better. And I thought Acosta as well, but there were still these like square passes and bad turnovers against a good team where it's one, two, three, four, boom. Now you're down one nil, right? Or it's mm -hmm, one, one mm -hmm. in situations where, like you said, who's going to put their foot on the ball? Where's the right time? What's the right timing? And then when, when that happens, the team just feels that a little bit of this jolt happen where they get the ball again and they try to force it. It's another turnover, another turnover, another turnover. And you do that four or five times and you've lost all the rhythm, right? And right. now you start to look at the players on the field and they're hiding a little bit more. There's just this like natural, like, are we playing bad? What's happening? And, and I think that there's a fragility in a team, especially that hasn't played together. And they're going through the motions of that right now that I find interesting, but um, all in all, again, uh, to get to a semifinal is great. I thought Jamaica were a good team. I mm -hmm. thought that out on the counters, even though there wasn't a lot of unfamiliar faces in that team, 
they were good technically. They were good in, in transition. They were good in build-up play at times. And uh, they, they really kept the U.S. honest and that forced the U.S. to have to really focus for long periods, which I don't think they've had to do um, maybe a little bit against Canada, but but I thought Jamaica had more threats that forced the U.S. to really have to stay tuned in, including that midfield three. So really quick, just about Jamaica, because I want to get into your last and final thoughts about the U.S. and kind of looking ahead. We'll have a separate preview for the semifinal against Qatar and, of course, Mexico and Canada. But with regard to Jamaica, I was really surprised that Leon Bailey did not start or play at all in this game. He was on the bench, so he didn't have COVID. I don't know if it was an injury. I know that Aston Villa right now are looking to buy him from Bayer Leverkusen, 23-year-olds, huge upside. We could argue he was probably one of the best players in the tournament if he had been playing. So I thought that was a bit of a He's surprise. He's one of the best players in the Bundesliga. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. He's one of the best players in the Bundesliga, especially on his day when he's feeling it. I'm like, this mm-hmm. guy, is, he's unplayable. He's unplayable. And I thought that was a bit of a surprise that he didn't start. And I thought, okay, maybe Whitmore, the manager for Jamaica is playing four dimensional chess and we're playing checkers. So maybe he'll bring him on as a super sub when the U S is a little bit tired. And the longer the game goes zero, zero, I was worried. I'm like, Oh, great. Here comes Leon Bailey and Andre Gray is going to come on and they're going to come in and win the game with a late goal. He never got off the bench. And so it makes me wonder if they didn't or his club Bayer Leverkusen or Aston Villa said, Hey, don't risk him. We can't have him get hurt. We're trying to sell him right now. And how detrimental that was to Jamaica who are obviously trying to do something in this tournament and, and continue to, you know, earn their respect uh, in this region. Yeah. I'm, I'm disappointed if that is indeed the case. And obviously some sort of case was taking place. Yeah. Right? He something, might be injured. I don't know. Something, 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 something happened. Something happened. And, and that's disappointing because you obviously want him on the field um, and I get the, the fact that the, your, your club pays your wages and they've made an investment in the, in this player and, and there's a potential for, for a transfer here, but yeah, he, he could have been a huge contributor. If he actually was fit, healthy and available, uh, to not come in, uh, I think is, is, is disappointing for the team, obviously, because yeah. he's a threat. I thought they were already, uh, you know, Junior Flemings, I think, was already enough of a threat. But you're talking about Leon Bailey here. Right. I guess I'm torn because I'm glad the U.S. won, of course, and I want us to continue to get games. But I also want to see our, let's say, fringe players, quote-unquote fringe players, get tested against some of the best players that they can in this yeah. region. And Leon Bailey would have been those. And to see Sammy Vines go up against Leon Bailey, and maybe he has that performance where all of a sudden we're talking about Sammy Vines having Leon Bailey in his back pocket or Miles Robinson doing a good job or whatever it is, right? Yeah. I just wanted them to have that opportunity. And I thought yeah. that Jamaica played well despite that. But, but it just would have been cool to have our players get that type of experience. But to me, it is what it is. I'm glad let, we're moving on. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, give me one player then, um, because I know we have more to cover, that's going up in your power rankings from today. I was going to ask you the one same thing. That, so one that's gone down. So, so I will say Miles Robinson continues to take steps for me. I thought that he made a couple defensive plays that were very mature. I remember there was like a 2v1 where he had a really – he ended up sticking out a leg and blocking the dribble inside. But, but what I loved was his patience to get over to that spot. He waited to cut out the passing lane and slid over. Very experienced for a player of his age at that, for that position. And that really won me over. And I thought he covered for Vines a couple of good times and, and made some good blocks. So I think Miles Robinson for sure. Matt Turner continues to impress in goal. Just really steady, right? That's all you want out mm-hmm. of your goalkeepers. Just make the saves that we expect you to make. Be dominant off your line. Be very vocal. He seems to tick, uh, tick all those boxes. Uh, I would say that Acosta, I thought, was better in that holding area. So I thought his energy was different, but he didn't really like move the needle for me in terms of 
where he's kind of where I always have him, which is right behind yeah. Tyler Adams in that position. I thought Hoppy actually was pretty impressive, not only because he scored the goal, but he found himself in good spots. He had two good volleys. He put him right at the goalkeeper, but he's he's in and around. He's sniffing in that. That's harder to yeah. teach than 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 that type of stuff. So I actually thought when Zardis was going to come on, he was Berhalter was going to keep DK on and take out Hoppy. And obviously, I'm glad he didn't because it worked out. And and so I was impressed with with uh, with Hoppy in that. I would say I was a little disappointed that DK didn't have as much influence on the game as I think we all want him to have, but that doesn't change my, my, how I feel about him and where I think he's going to go for us moving forward. I think he's going to be a vital player for us in world cup qualifying and gives us a different look. He's a different player than Josh Sargent. So having those different types of options is going to be good for our team. Uh, Areola just looked like he's coming off an injury. I didn't think he was as sharp as maybe he would like. I'm sure he'd like to play better too. And then outside of that, that would be it. I don't know if anybody really took a step down per se for me, but uh, I would say Miles Robinson and, and Matthew Hoppy were my two standouts. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to say Miles Robinson uh, as well. I think him and him just commanding that back line, like you said, there was a few of those moments that I think the U.S. has been notorious at least this summer for getting isolated in 1v1 scenarios and everybody goes, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and, and, and you've been there before. You've been pulled wide by a, a, a pacey, a pacey uh, attacker or you're in sort of no man's land and, you've, and, and you're like, man, he could take me inside, he could take me outside. And I thought Robinson was so good at just slowing the game up, knowing when to step. He got megged on that one situation on yeah. back heel and was able yeah. to spin out of it and make it look like the guy had no chance. And for that brief moment, I was like, oh, man, here we go. And it was, it was those like, and like you said, that two v one situation where he delayed his run before stepping out and then getting that leg, poking his leg out. There was just this maturity in his game in a lot of ways. And this just this uh, pace to, to which this intensity to which he had it, but like a calm intensity. Um, and so I, I agree with you on that. Um, Hoppy for sure had a great game. I think that's probably the ceiling uh, of what he has at the moment mm -hmm. because I don't think he mixed his game up enough. I think he had this sort of one-track mind, like bull in a China, China shop mm -hmm. of every time you get it. And I think DK had that in his first couple of caps as well, where it's like, I've got the ball. I've got to go score. Yeah. Um, and that leads to some turnovers. And as he started to get more fatigued, he would just sort of had too much of this, like, I get the ball, I go. And I think if he can learn to mix up his game, yeah. He, you could see the potential of what Schalke saw in him. You could see the potential of how good he could actually be if he could start to add some of those other other elements Agreed. to make it just more more unpredictable, right? If 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 I know if I'm defending him and I know that every time he gets the ball, he's going to attack me, that's going to become pretty easy after a while, right? Um, of course, he's going to get his chances, but if if I check back and he lays one off simple and then he does it again, the third time I'm going to be like, I'm going to let him go. He's laid off laid off simple, and that's when he turns on me and goes at me, right? So right. just changing up that game. The only, the only two that I would say, uh, and I agree with you, I thought Ariola was was uh, relatively average. I thought Roldan actually came in and brought yeah, a really agreed. great agreed. spark. I think uh, Greg did a good job of bringing on experience in those moments to say, okay, you know, I need people who have been there before. I would love to be able to play guys who haven't, but this is a situation where you know what this is like. You're going to go in and contribute and obviously gets a great assist. But overall, just had this great energy. Look faster than I've ever seen him before. So uh, right. that was, that was, yeah, that was cool. good. And then DK, I thought just system wide, and I, I don't think it's his fault as much as yeah, he was sloppy and and in a few in a little bit of his hold up play and whatnot. But uh, I think that we just didn't so often we very rarely value our our nine and 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 their role within the team. Yeah. And when you don't have midfielders that can again vertically advance the ball to to get them involved, or you have you know 
uh, wingers that can can play off of them and spin off in a way that allows them to be effective. It, they're always set up to fail. So I don't think it's his fault as much I'll, as- Also, I think I'll, just- I'll jump in. I mean, uh, we're always gonna f- try to fairly criticize everybody and, and I don't necessarily wanna be a Daryl DK apologist, but I do think that teams are stacking him up in a way that maybe we haven't seen in a while with our number nines. You know, not to, not to take anything away from Josh Sargent, but I think when we have our full A team, everybody's like, oh man, we got to pay attention to Pulisic and we need to figure out how to slow down Reyna. And we got Weston McKinney who's bombing late and Josh Sargent almost becomes an afterthought in some ways. But DK is such a presence for me, at least, where I just think he demands a lot more attention. And, right. and I could see Jamaica going, we're going to stack this guy up so he can't do what he wants to do. If, if, if we're going to lose, it's not because Daryl DK is going to score. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. I think that's starting to come into play as well. But uh, yeah, obviously he didn't, um, didn't, didn't stand out like he we we've seen what we know he's capable of, but yeah, like his ceiling is his. I don't think we've even got close to his ceiling, so I'm curious to see, you know, how he goes. And, moving and by the way, my final points are on on Sammy Vines and, and Shaq Moore. I just thought solid performances, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you want in a game like this. You can't have everybody be a nine or a ten. You're going to need some sevens and eights. Mm-hmm. I thought that they were in that seven eight range where they were solid. They won their individual battles. They competed. They covered. They made plays nothing spectacular out of them, but sometimes you just need that from those guys and you don't need them to be the hero. So I think that's that from, from, from a perspective of like, when you look back at that game, those two players, you go, did their jobs, you know, uh, give them another run. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to talk about the U.S.'s opponent in the semifinals, Qatar, and their big win over El Salvador. We're going to talk about the favorites to win it, of course, Mexico, and how they easily dispatched of Honduras. And then we'll talk about Canada's big win over Costa Rica as well. So don't go anywhere. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, everyone, to the K. Golasso podcast. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce. We're breaking down the Gold Cup quarterfinals. We talked about the U.S. and Jamaica. Now we're going to get into Mexico versus Honduras. Mexico won 3-0. We're in complete control throughout. No one's surprised whatsoever. But, Heath, some fun facts in this one. They've now given up five shots on goal over four games, four consecutive clean sheets. They're starting to tick now on the offensive side of the ball. I think earlier in the tournament, especially against Trinidad and Tobago to start the tournament. They didn't score. It just seemed like they weren't really firing on both sides, but now they're looking like that well-oiled machine. Tata Martino definitely pressing the right buttons. Funes More playing so well that maybe, you know, uh, Raul Jimenez might not have a spot when he comes back, and hopefully he will come back. Obviously, he's starting to play for Wolves after his skull injury. But uh, Funes More has been excellent, and I think they're starting to really flow I'm worried as a U.S. fan, if we play Mexico in the final, it could be a long one for us. Uh, but, but let's not get ahead of that. Let's just talk about the performance against Honduras. 
uh, they looked really good. What were your thoughts? It's funny you said that because I had a text from a friend of mine uh, who said that if we were to lose um, Robinson at the end of that game, that we he would rather us just lose in the quarters and just be done <laughs> than have to face a Mexico in the final and the way that that could play out. Yeah. But Mexico are a tournament team, right? They there was no panic. Maybe there is in the Mexican media and Tata Martino is always in uh, kind of in the crosshairs of, you know, if, if they draw half the whole world or the whole uh, Mexican community is like, get rid of them. And that's a, cu a cultural <laughs> thing, which I get. And he, and he enjoys that pressure, but they just, it's kind of like the ideal situation that you want, right? Which is a slow start. You want your slow start to be at the beginning. And then they just get better mm -hmm. and better and better and there's a belief in that and then there becomes this pride of the crest and you start to have this momentum and 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 a mexico with a momentum i don't care who's on the field for mexico when they have momentum it could be anyone it could be a player who's never played for mexico before but there is this sort of um broad shouldered chest out type of confidence that comes with that and so i'm not surprised that they they ran through honduras I'm not surprised that they're in the form that they're in. I'm not surprised that at no point from, from the beginning, even when they drew with, with, with Trinidad to now that they, no one's changed the, the outlook on, are they the favorites or is there another favorite or, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, overall, it, they're still the team to beat regardless, whether, even if it's, it's the A teams in, in the gold cup, they're the team to beat in the gold cup. They're always the favorite of the gold cup, but right now, uh, for this U.S. side. I think this glimpse of the U.S. that we saw against Jamaica from that willingness to compete gave me some uh, more peace of mind, but it's, I'm still fearful of, of what that's like, uh, what that could be like in a final. Obviously, everyone's still got to get to that final, but... Of course. And I, I hope we get that opportunity. And, and I know we talked uh, ad nauseum about uh, the U.S., so I'll leave it there. But I was really impressed with Mexico. They scored three goals in 12 minutes in the first half, 28th minute to 26 minutes to the 38th minute. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos might have had the goal of the tournament. He hits a first-time volley outside the box. Sick goal. So fair play to him. Uh, as I said, Fuenas More, Pineda scored. Uh, he scored the third goal in that one. They're just kind of hurting you in different ways. What I thought was interesting about Mexico is that a couple of their goals came off of crosses. And we've played against Mexico enough to know that they're not really a team that likes to score off crosses. You know, they like to kind of break you down through the middle or whatever it may be. They're not that type of team. They can, they can do it, but that's not really what they're known for. And so for them to be able to score in, in different ways and to have these different dynamics where they are trying to create those numerical advantages out wide. And I heard you use numerical advantage, by the way, in your, your, uh, your LAFC stuff the other night. And I was like, yeah, hopefully I influenced uh, Heath with that phrase, numerical advantage. But Mexico did a very that good was job. A, by the way, that was a big Greg Vanny uh, thing of just like create 2v1s in every situation on the field. You don't need 3v5s or whatever. Just create one extra number and get out of everything. So you can uh, credit him with that. I will. We I'll, went to I'll credit him together. with that. Yes, yes, yes. So I stole it from somebody and now whatever. It's all <laughs> good. But but I was just really impressed with the way that Mexico kind of take took what it was given to them. Sometimes I feel like we've seen them, and we see this with, with teams all over. They have a certain aesthetic, Man City, Barcelona, whatever. And if they can't play the way that they, they – they sometimes won't take what's given to them by a team. Like they refuse to go out wide. They're being stubborn. No, we're going to play the way that we play. Their ego's in the way. And right now I feel like Mexico, especially in this game against Honduras, they're like, okay, Honduras wants to give us the ball out wide. Great. We'll take it. We'll whip balls in. We're going to score anyway. And to your point, that makes Mexico really, really dangerous. So I'm curious to see how they're going to play against the Canada team. And now let's segue into them that I thought looked very good against Costa Rica in particular. And they're doing it without Alfonso Davies, arguably their best player. Jonathan David, arguably their other best player. 
They got uh, Akinola, who tore his ACL against the U.S., and they have Kyle Aaron, who is out as well. So they're missing four of their top players. Mm-hmm. And I thought they took it to, to, to Costa Rica. I thought they were very good on both sides of the ball. Talking about a team that's up for it and has that team spirit and starting to really forge an identity, I think Canada is very good. And, and I put this out on Twitter. I'll be really surprised if this team, based on what I've seen so far in this tournament, don't qualify for the 2022 World Cup. And I say that as Canada kind of takes a step to being better. And as we see Costa Rica and Panama and Honduras start to take those steps back. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is Cavallini is also suspended on yellow cards. Right. For next game. Um, And so, and I think. Even if he wasn't though, Mexico are heavy favorites. Heavy favorites. But now you've now taken your next best player out of your lineup. (laughs) And so obviously I, it has the recipe for, for, for Mexico to run all over this Canada team. I think Canada's had this great run and, you know, you start to think like, okay, wake up calls coming very, very soon. But there's also that ability to say sort of like we are just taking gut punches constantly, right? We don't have our best team. We're missing players. You know, we've had injuries and it just keeps on mounting. And that's, you know, the few times in my career, Jimmy, that I played in those types of scenarios personally, where you just felt like you're not, there's nothing to lose is when I tended to have my best performances, right? When I was on the outs with my club in, in, in Germany and I had to, I was just sort of there and stuck in, in, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. I, I was playing really well because there was nothing lingering in my mind anymore, right? Mexico, by far the favorites. The lines are going to be way in the favor yeah. of Mexico. And now yeah. you're depleted. Ro- uh, if, if you had your best teams, uh, but now you have this depleted roster, you can kind of come out and just play knowing that, that uh, you know, let's try to get let's try to get a chance um let's try to squeak out some sort of result i do think mexico run away with this for sure but i i have so much respect for for what uh herdman's done in this whole thing and it's funny everyone's giving them so much crap because of this whole talk of like uh it's a final we're playing it like a final they apparently he said that around every game and now the players are saying that after every game of like we're approaching this like a final but when you're a heavy underdog that doesn't have any respect uh given to them uh, off off the top. I, I think you do have to do that, right? We talk about that anytime you play against a CONCACAF nation, especially away in Central America, they play it like a final, right? It, it's There's so much more into it because they haven't gotten the respect they believe they deserve. They're the, the, the heavy underdog. You have all these players playing at bigger clubs from the other team. And so I think also, also into, yeah, go ahead. I just want to add that this game's in Houston, 72,000 people. I don't know how many are going to be let in, but they're all going to be there for Mexico. I mean, there yeah. might be a 5% that they're for Canada. So yes, this one will definitely feel like a final for them. I do want to jump in and I want you to finish your thought, but I just wanted to say that. And then secondly, just to add, because I think it will help inform what you're saying. They didn't give up any shots on goal to Costa Rica. And I think that they're, their defense maybe isn't getting enough credit. And I think that that's obviously going to be a big side of it as they weather a whole bunch of storms from Mexico. Yeah, I think, again, they're another team that's continuing to get better, right? And and I think they get into each of these games and approach it like a final, but still have a little bit of this second guessing of like, are we actually good? Are we not? How, how <laughs> Where are we going to go? And I think that they're going to have a huge test against Mexico. I think it's going to be something that most of those players, I'd say 90% of those players have never faced in this type of environment in that type of situation. There is no blueprint. There's no book you can read. There's no video you can watch that prepares you for 72,000 Mexican fans. Um, Similarly to, to, uh, to uh, what the U S faced in in the uh, nation's league final. Mm -hmm. But the only thing I can say is you look against Honduras, the only thing you can do is if you give up a goal, and I thought the U.S. did this in the Nations League final, and I thought it was going to go completely opposite, stop them from scoring a second, you mm-hmm. know? 
because mm-hmm. you saw there, what was it? 12 minutes, three goals in 12 minutes. If yeah. you can prevent them from that five to 10 minute confidence where they think they can do and they believe they can do anything they want with any team in the world. And it works a lot of the time. I think you can stay in it and they're going to open up and they might give you a few chances to be able to, to, to pull one back. But if you allow the Olays to get to you, if you, yeah. if you go in hard on a challenge and draw a yellow card, if you allow them to use all of the theatrics and all of the atmosphere and all of these things, they're going to run, run away with you and you're never going to see the ball again. And I yeah. think that's a huge factor for Canada to just have that confidence and maturity to know that, Hey, if you give up a goal in the first minute or if it's the 80th minute, We've still got time. We've got a few minutes. Don't get caught up in everything else that's going on and just hope that you get another chance. We'll save this good stuff for our Gold Cup semifinal preview because there's a lot to dive into. And obviously, we'll know more about lineup selection. We'll have a little bit more for you on Mexico, Canada. Let's talk about now, speaking of the semis, the opponent for the U.S., Qatar, doing the business 3-2 over El Salvador. Now, this game was 3-0 in favor of Qatar. And then, excuse me, I want to say Honduras. El Salvador came back and scored two. And almost made it three. So Qatar have already shown in this tournament after having that, that punching back and forth with Panama on that three, three game to start the whole tournament that they do have a tendency to kind of relax and to get a little casual and to give up some good chances. That said, they are an excellent counterattacking team. They only had 35% possession, but obviously scored three goals without, without having too much of the ball. And that makes me a little bit worried for the U S who do have a tendency of giving up some counters and against a team that's actually full of confidence right now. What did you think about this Qatar El Salvador game? And, and uh, without giving away too much, because we'll have a separate semifinal, semifinal preview. You know, what are you thinking about Qatar and, and uh, how dangerous they are? Yeah, it's weird. When I was doing the LAFC game uh, over the weekend, Tomas Romero could play for El Salvador. He's sort of holding out right now as a goalkeeper, and he's in great form. And you think about the, how he could have contributed to this team. But El Salvador, obviously a nation that, that are also – wanting to prove that they're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're back in the conversation. But most of, m- most of my thoughts are around Qatar. They are so, they play this very wide open attack. High, wide, they combine well, very technical. But again, there's a lack of discipline there where they get overexposed, they get spread too wide, and then a bad turnover in transition. And we, we've just mentioned that, what that means to the U.S. If they do that against a good opponent, they'll punish you. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that I thought that El Salvador stayed in it. Uh, and I thought El Salvador, again, showed that patience to uh, after going down to be able to claw their way back in, knowing this team is going to try to play a beautiful game. Right. Um, and, and with that comes some some vulnerabilities in the back line. And um, it wasn't enough. But I think that's, again, where 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 Qatar could fall short in this. But it had no one. No one's no one's proven an ability to 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 beat them. Uh, in that context yet. So uh, until then, they're going to keep on playing this sort of way and believe that this is the right system that, you know, score more goals than the other team. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As we mentioned before, and we'll get into it as well for the semifinal preview, but they have 12 players from El Sad and that that club is managed by Xavi. I think that's really important to note because I think there are some patterns of play that when you see them play, I, I, I love Afif, the number 11 for Qatar, the way that he plays, the way that he's looking, the way that he's unlocking, and especially on the first goal, he's the one that played it out wide, but his running, uh, his decision-making looks very Xavi-esque, let's say, and nobody's going to ever replicate Xavi uh, step for step, but but he's making decisions that you can tell there's some influence there from, from a player that uh, we know well. 
So, so it's interesting to see how this team plays. And I think there's some good rapport there. They're not like the U S who have a whole bunch of guys from different teams that are all trying to figure it out and come together at the right time. And that there's a lot of pressure on Greg Berhalter to figure that out. They already kind of have an identity, you know, it's very similar. And I said this before, like Real Madrid and Barcelona kind of populating the Spanish national team for many years and them already kind of having a shorthand of how they're going to play. And I think that that lends itself. And I think that's a slight advantage that Qatar might have, especially in tight moments. That said, their lack of discipline does show, and we're going to see what they're made of. But ultimately, they won the Asian Cup. It's not like they come in and they're, they're unknowns. You know, they, they, they do have some experience. They have some players, and they seem like they have something to prove. And I'm really excited about these final four teams in particular because I think these are the four best teams that have been playing in this tournament, with all due respect to the ones that, that were just close but fell short. Jamaica, I thought, were, were good, and El Salvador worked very hard to get to this position and probably feel a little bit hard. They made their own mistakes in that one, kind of gave the game away to Qatar and maybe didn't make Qatar suffer as much as they wanted. But the, it'll be an interesting game, and I'm curious to see how it all plays out. So... Yeah, I'm excited. Let's just let's just tie it up there, Heath Pierce. So I appreciate uh, you hopping on as well uh, with me for this Gold Cup coverage, and I look forward to seeing how uh, the rest of the tournament plays out. Any final words from you? No, I think Qatar are, are the biggest mystery. Um, obviously, the the least known of all these, and I think that plays into an advantage in their their stubbornness and to playing the style of play that they want to play. That's a little more open and a little more. You know, uh, again, you're going to have to put out more fires in those contexts until somebody knocks them off that perch. I think they're 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 going to continue to do that. And like you said, it, it, there's a system and a reason behind it. It's not just uh, laziness or a lack of identity. It is the identity, and that is uh, currently working. So that is it, everybody. We are done with the pod, and our final four is set for the Gold Cup semifinals. Qatar taking on the U.S. That'll kick off at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday night. And then following that will be Canada taking on Mexico. Lots of action coming up. We appreciate you. Make sure you drop a follow K Golasso pod on Twitter and follow us on all of the audio platforms to get more of the good stuff. And we will see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.